Hello again, fourth graders. Today we're going to be reading chapter eight of Writing Freedom. So again, you're going to need your Writing Freedom book, your packet, and a pencil. We're going to start by doing the before you read, which is on page 21 of your packet. The before you read says, think of something that you love doing and that you wouldn't feel complete without. Now imagine that you are told never to do that thing again. How would you feel? What would you do? So for me, what I think of immediately is that I love teaching. What would I do if I couldn't teach? How would I feel? Think about something that's such an important part of your life that you can't imagine living without it. Pause to write down your answer and then push play when you're ready to move on. Okay, so while I'm reading chapter 8 today, here are the while you read instructions. It says, characters and stories often face challenges that they must overcome in order to be successful. As you read, make a list of all the challenges that you can think of that Charlotte faces in this chapter. So as you're listening, whenever you hear me talking about a challenge that Charlotte is facing, pause and write it down. You want to make sure you make a note of every single challenge she faces. Okay, get your book ready. Turn to chapter eight on page 93. Pause the recording and then push play when you're ready to follow along. Okay, here we go. Chapter eight of Writing Freedom, read for you by Mrs. Reese, starting on page 93. Two stock tenders held a nervous horse by ropes tied to the bridle's cheek straps. Ebenezer had been right. Many of the horses were feral and had never been broken, and that made them even harder to shod. Charlotte got into position and pulled up the back hoof. The horse reared. The last thing Charlotte remembered was the hoof coming toward her face and the pain. She woke up in the doctor's office and tried to sit up, but reeled from the headache. Her stomach churned. She retched. Charlotte reached up and felt her left eye. It was swollen shut and scraped and bloody. She tried to open it, but the lid would only lift part way. What happened? Charlotte asked. She nervously checked to see that she was fully dressed. It's best to lie still, said the doctor. You were kicked in the face by a wild horse. Mr. Birch brought you in and waited for some time. I assured him I'd take good care of you, but that I needed to keep you here overnight. I'm afraid you might lose sight in that eye. What's a girl trying to shoe a horse for? What? Charlotte said. You're dressed like a young man and those hands are callous like a ranch hand. But I'm a doctor and I know a girl when I see one. He stared at Charlotte. I, I need my job, said Charlotte, and I couldn't work if anybody knew. If Mitch, Mr. Birch knew. You don't need to give me a long drawn out explanation. You're not the first woman pretending to be a man that I've ever treated. I'm not going to tell anyone, including Mr. Birch. 
Now don't move a minute. I'm going to put on this ointment. Charlotte flinched as the doctor dabbed on a foul-smelling medicine. I've got one lady out past town whose husband's been gone to the gold mines for two years, and nobody thinks he's gone. She's been pretending to be him all this time. Saved her from many a problem. Had another patient some years ago whose husband was killed by bandits. She dressed in his clothes for several years to protect herself and her children in the wilderness. Held off a few raids and everyone thought it was him. When her sons got old enough, she changed back and told everyone the true story. Don't you worry about me. What about my eye? asked Charlotte. When the swelling and bruising goes down, we'll know more, but it'll be cockeyed at least. And like I said, it might be blind. How soon till I can drive again? asked Charlotte. You won't be driving any time soon, said the doctor. And I don't know anyone who would hire a driver with only one good eye. Charlotte felt sick again. She didn't know if it was from the pain or from her bad luck. She hadn't even driven a single stage run in California, and now she couldn't see out of one eye. How would she work? How would she get enough money to buy property? She wished Ebenezer was here, or Hayward, but they were 3,000 miles away. She lay back down on the doctor's table, and the room swirled around her. She retched again. The next day, Charlotte waited on the bench in front of the doctor's office for James to come and get her. She couldn't see a thing out of her left eye. She looked at the black eye patch she held in her hand, but the doctor said it couldn't be worn until her eye healed. People walking by were alarmed when they saw her. Some stared and then turned away except for the children who just plain stared. Others stopped and asked questions like it was their business. Charlotte slumped over and kept her head down. She had spent years trying to blend in and not be noticed, and now everyone walking by examined her face. She was self-conscious and embarrassed. One little child started crying when he saw her. She felt like a monster. Finally, James pulled up in a wagon. Charlie, you look like you wrestled a bull and the bull won, he said. Come on now, let's get you back to the stable. Riding back, Charlotte had only one thing on her mind. James, how soon till I can drive? Frank and I already discussed it. You can't drive with only one good eye. We can't take a chance, not with business so good and our names at stake but you can stock tender for us for as long as you like. That's the best we can do. After Charlotte got back to the stables, she shut the door of the small storeroom and lay down on the bunk. Silent tears stung the cuts and scrapes on her hurt eye and blurred the other. How am I going to get where I'm going if I can't see, she thought. The crying made her bad eyes swell even more. But just like that day at the orphanage when Hayward left, once she started, she couldn't stop until every tear was given away. With the eye patch, Charlotte looked a little like a pirate, and folks around the livery started calling her One-Eyed Charlie. She didn't mind because people accepted the eye patch much easier than they did a crooked, deformed eye. What she did mind was not being able to drive. 
As much as she tried to be grateful for her job, her heart wasn't in it. She ached to get out and ride the countryside. She had learned to love the freedom of driving as much as she loved her animals. The feeling of being in charge, of folks trusting that she knew the way, and of knowing her team. When she drove, her horses seemed almost to know what would be expected of them without a word being spoken. Sometimes it seemed like magic. After a month, Charlotte was itching to sit in the box seat. And since stock tenders didn't make nearly as much as stage drivers, she missed the money too. One moonlit night, Charlotte walked around the back of the stables and caught her reflection in a barrel of water. She looked hard at herself. She lifted the eye patch. Her left eye was crooked and twisted. Her face had weathered. Her hair was straight and too long. Like most ranch hands, she had it pulled back and tied in a tail. It was a knotted mess from being under a hat. She smoothed her cheeks with her hands, hardly recognizing herself. She remembered another night long ago when she had looked at herself in a pool of water. What had she wanted back then? She had wanted to be out of the kitchen and riding horses. She had wanted to find Hayward again someday and to have a ranch of her own. She'd been stubborn enough to think that somehow she could do it all. Now her dreams were slipping away, and it frightened her clear to the bone. Riding coaches was the reason she'd come to California, and it was the way she was going to make it here. She took out her kerchief and dipped the corner in the water and wiped her face. What had Vern told her? That she had to do what her heart tells her. The only way to get my ranch is to keep riding and driving horses, she whispered to herself, and that's what I aim to do. The next afternoon, while Frank and James went into town for their daily bank run, she took a six-horse team out on her own. She had to see if she could still drive. The straight parts weren't bad. The horses knew the road. Charlotte held the reins and gave the tugs but veering to the left was a problem because she couldn't see much to the left. She ran the coach off the road and up an embankment. It was a struggle to get the horses out of the soft dirt and back on the road. Now I'll know what not to do next time, she said to the horses. The next day, she overturned the coach completely but was able to jump free. What was she doing wrong? She knew how to drive a team. She didn't need training with the horses or the ribbons. She knew those things by heart. It was her eye she didn't know. She needed to train her one good eye. She needed to learn how to use it all over again. She started taking a smaller team out every day. First a two-horse team, then a four. Finally, with six in the hand. Charlotte had been proving herself her whole life, and she wasn't about to stop now. She didn't even care if Frank and James caught on to what she was doing. They might as well see me trying, she thought. She learned the different sounds the horse's hooves made on different types of roads. If the road was hard, the hooves made a hollow clopping sound. If the road was soft, the hooves made a dull thudding sound. She relied on her one good eye to take over for the other. She trusted her senses, and the sixth sense she had for handling horses.
Charlotte drove back and forth over her route and memorized every rock and tree. She set a goal for herself. If she made 10 clean round trip runs, she'd know she was as good as the next driver. After that, she'd just have Frank and James to convince. After the 10th clean run, Charlotte went to James. I want to drive the stage run over the river. Now, Charlie, we've been over all that. Me and Frank think, you ride with me. And if you don't think I'm fit, then I won't bother you again, said Charlotte. What will the passengers say about your eye patch, said James. Just tell them it's to frighten off bandits. They won't know any different. I don't know. Charlotte defended herself. You know my reputation. I traveled all this way. Riding coaches is the whole reason I came to California. And I came because you asked me to come. You know I've been practicing. Go by my past driving. That's all I'm asking. And I wouldn't be asking if I didn't know I could drive. Reluctantly, James said, The first sign that you can't handle the situation, I take the reins. I'll tell you if I need help. Don't go stepping in unless I ask. Fair enough, said James. Tomorrow? Tomorrow, if the weather holds. I ain't going to be a fair weather driver, said Charlotte. I want to drive, same as usual, like all the other drivers. Well, I guess you deserve that much. Tomorrow. Rain or shine. It was one of those storms where the rain came down in wash tubs, but the stage was scheduled to go. The coach was chock full of passengers, baggage and mail pouches that had to get through. Charlotte was soaked clear through by the time the baggage was secured. James rode shotgun next to her. The wind wouldn't let up and the rain came flying in every which direction. James seemed nervous. Charlie, I can't even see the road, he yelled. Then it's a good thing I'm driving because I can smell it and I can hear it, yelled Charlotte. James sat back as the coach headed into the storm. The mud was so thick it reached the hubs, but Charlotte still found the road. When they reached the river, it had swelled almost to the bridge supports. Charlotte stopped the stage on the north bank. Stay inside, she told the passengers. I'll be checking the bridge. Charlotte took off her gloves and carefully walked across the swaying timbers to see if the bridge was worthy. She stopped a few times and listened to the moans of the wood. She felt the swollen planks and pulled on the guard ropes until she was satisfied. She walked back to the stage and told the passengers to get out. Ain't no reason to risk your lives, said Charlotte. James, I'm going to walk you and these fine people over to the other side and wait for me there. But a portly gentleman refused to budge. I'll take my chances inside the coach, he said. Not on my coach, said Charlotte. I'm familiar with adventure, young man, he argued. The bridge can't take any extra weight, and I'm not about to lose my first passenger to that river. Now step out, or I'll help you step out. Still grumbling, the man reluctantly climbed down. In the blinding rain, Charlotte escorted the group, a few at a time, across the bridge. When they were safely settled on the other side, she walked back for the stage. She got back in the box. Thunder growled nearby. She knew what was coming next. 
She held tight to the ribbons and waited for the lightning. It hit within a mile, but she kept the horses reined. Trusting her instincts, she inched the horses and stage across the bridge. The timbers groaned as the iron-capped wheels clacked across the wooden planks. Ahead, the passengers huddled together and watched anxiously from the other side. The river raced a few feet beneath the wheels. The bridge rocked and the horses reared and whinnied. The coach was smack in the middle of the bridge. Charlotte kept her sights on the far bank. She heard the splintering and cracking of weathered wood that meant the bridge was coming apart. Tree limbs swayed in the wind, and the sounds of the storm brought back a memory from somewhere deep in Charlotte's mind. A jumble of frantic images and words being held in someone's lap, and voices, stop, hold on, her parents' voices, and a face, yes, her mother's face close to hers. Keep them straight, keep them straight. That's what she had to do. She stood up in the box. Keep them straight on the bridge, Charlotte. Dashing the water from her good eye and gathering the reins in a firm grip, she cracked her whip and yelled, Away! She was thrown back into the box. The horses jibbed side to side, but she held tight to the ribbons. They flew across like scared jackrabbits. The back wheels barely turned on solid ground when the bridge collapsed and dropped into the churning river. Whoa, my beauties, whoa, yelled Charlotte. The passengers hurried back to the stage, clamoring about the excitement while Charlotte settled the team. We could have all fallen in, one woman gasped. My heart's a-poundin', a man exclaimed as others joined in. We would have drowned. He saved my life, said the gentleman who had refused to leave the coach. And by the way they were talking and James was nodding his head, Charlotte knew there wouldn't be a question about her driving the stage again. All right, that's the end of chapter eight. At this point, you should have made a list on the while you read page of all the different challenges that Charlotte faces in this chapter. If you're not done with your list, please pause before you start the after you read. The after you read for chapter eight is on page 22 of your packet. We have our two vocabulary questions. Number one says, people walking by were alarmed when they saw her. So what does alarmed mean? Does it mean they were taken by surprise? They were made angry? They screamed like an alarm, or it was like a warning of a fire. Circle the one that makes the most sense. Number two, but veering to the left was a problem because she couldn't see much to the left. So what does veering mean? Does it mean running to the left, facing to the left, spinning to the left, or turning to the left. Try to remember what this sentence was talking about. If you're not sure, you can go back to page 101. Pause until you're ready for number three. We have two open-ended questions today. Number three says, reread what the doctor says on page 95. 
What reasons did women have for dressing like men during this time period? What new information does this allow you to infer about equality from between men and women in the 1800s? So think back to when Charlotte was in the doctor's office and she realized the doctor knew she was a woman. The doctor told her some stories. What new information did this tell us? What reasons did women have for dressing like a man? Pause while you write down your answer. Number four says, reread Charlotte's first drive with passengers on pages 103 to 107. What challenges did she face on this ride? How did she overcome these challenges? So on that ride in the big storm, what were the challenges that Charlotte faced? When it says overcome, that means like how did she succeed or get by even though there was a challenge? Make sure you include evidence from the text. That is all for chapter eight, and I'll see you next time with chapter nine.